Okay, gentlemen, good morning. Parashat Lech Lecha. Vayomer Adonai Abraham. The Pasuk begins in the parasha. Hashem tells Abraham, Lech Lecha, go for yourself. We're going to explain what that word means, Lech Lecha, in a minute. Me'ar Secha, go from your land. Umi Moladecha, from the place, from the place that you're born. Umi Bet Abicha, and from your father's home. El Ha'aretz Asher Eka, I'm taking you to a land that I will show you. In this Pasuk, Abraham Avinu was already 75 years old. He was a married man, an older man. The question is, why does it say he should leave his father's home? The Pasuk says in the beginning of the Torah in Sefer Bereshit, when it talks about the way a married man gets married, it says over here, Alken Ya'azov Ish. He says, This is the way marriage is supposed to look like. Ya'azov Ish, a man is supposed to leave. Et Abiv Be'et Imo. He has to leave his father and his mother. Vedavak Be'ishto. He's supposed to be committed to his wife and be with his wife. Ve'ayule Basarehat. It's a very very clear uh, command or uh, it, instruction that the way marriage is supposed to be is not only that you add on something to your life. When you get married, you add a partner to your life. But it's not only adding a partner. It's, it's cutting off from where you are. So it's clear, again, one more time, it's clear that part of marriage is disconnecting from the father's home and from the mother's home. I would imagine that Abraham Avinu was aware of this and lived his life that way. So what does it mean when the Pasuk says you should leave your father's home? The man is 75 years old, married. He's not in his father's home. Why does it say that? This is an important question. A woman has to separate from her father and mother and go into a new home. Disconnect. She come visit once in a while, that's enough. How more? Okay. You know, you know the story? There was a... There's a, a, a a married woman, she called her father in the middle of the night. She says, Dad, I can't take it anymore. So what happened? He says, I can't tell you. He's driving me crazy. She says to her father, I'm coming home. Father says, you are home. And he hangs up. <laughs> okay. That's a little idea of what I'm talking about. You got it? The more you stay connected, the less you give them the opportunity.
to connect for themselves to what they need to do. So again, why does Hashem tell Abraham to leave his father's house when clearly he left his father's house years ago? I'd like to share with you a Midrash, a, a beautiful Midrash. The Midrash says that when Hashem told Abraham, Lech Lecha, says the Midrash, what does it say before that? So we, when we start the parasha, we often forget what was the end of the previous parasha. But the end of the previous parasha was, Those are the last three words of Parashat Noah. And Terah, who of course was Abraham's father, and he died in Haran. So Abraham died, his father died, and then Lech Lecha. So that anyways makes it even more complicated. That means his father is not even alive. What do you mean leave your father's house? Say maybe your mother's house, but his father, he just told me his father died. What's the story with his father dying and then Lech Lecha? Says the Midrash, Amara bi Yitzhak. He says, if you make the hashbon, the calculation of how long Terah lived, in reality, he lived another 65 years. From Lech Lecha, he still had 65 years of life. He didn't actually die by Lech Lecha. So why does the Torah say he died? Ela, but he's like this. Lefi she'aya Avraham avinu mefahed. Abraham Avinu was afraid. When Hashem told him, Lech Lecha, he said, Etzeh, I'm going to go out. Bishem Shamaim. He says, I'm going to create a Hilul Hashem. What's the Hilul Hashem? Ve'omrim. And they're going to say, He niyah Avin. He left his father. His father is an old man and he leaves him and he goes somewhere else. When Hashem told Abraham, Lech Lecha, it wasn't, read, it wasn't written yet in the Torah. When Hashem told him, Lech Lecha, Abraham Aminu said, how can I do that? I can't leave. But the creator of the world is telling you to leave. He said, I can't leave. He says, I am going to be a cause of Hilul Hashem. Do you imagine? The Creator is telling you to do something, and yet you still have to think for yourself that maybe what the Creator is telling you is going to end up desecrating God's name. It means you're allowed to tell God, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I'm desecrating your name. When Hashem told Abraham, Lech Lecha, Abraham was scared and he said, how can I leave? There's going to be a Hilul Hashem. People are going to say, the man left his father, his old man, he left him. Amar lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem said to him, Lech, go. Ani potrecha mikibud abayim. I'm giving you an explicit exemption from the mitzvah of kibud Aben. Listen to these words. Ve'en ani poter 
Let nobody read this and say, okay, well, if he got an exemption, so then any man who is married and has an old father, he has an exemption too. Hashem says to Abraham, you have an exemption, but nobody else. It's the law odd, and not only that, not only am I giving you an exemption for you, Ella, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to write about his death. Even though his death happened later, the way Hashem put it in the Torah, it says, Terah died. Lech lecha. So that nobody would read it and accuse Abraham Avinu of desecrating God's name that he left his father while his father's alive. So Hashem wrote it in a way where people wouldn't realize that his father was actually alive. But he got a special exemption. So how do you take care of the Hilul Hashem for every single person that reads the Torah? Here's a man who left his father. By writing it, that he died. It doesn't say when he died. It says he died. And then it says, Lech Lecha. Gentlemen, this is an unbelievable Midrash. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that this Midrash is very relevant to us. People think that when they leave the home of their parents and follow the Torah's instruction of leaving their father and mother, that now they really have their own life and the attention to their parents is no longer as necessary. Over here you see that Abraham Avinu, who was 75 years old, an old man in his own right, his father was a very big Rasha, not a very big Tzaddik, but yet Abraham Avinu served his father and took care of his father even after he got married and after he was an old man. And the only way he got out of it is God had to exempt him. That's a very powerful um, statement for everybody here. That your parents are your parents even after you get older yourself. And you must take care of them. And it's a tremendous Hilul Hashem when a father and mother are around and they have needs and their parents and their children leave them. I don't know how far this goes, but it seems to be one of the important calculations when a person goes to live somewhere. Seems to be that when you live somewhere other than your parents, it needs to be calculated if that's okay to do. Abraham, he's not, he's not kissing his father in the sense of disowning him. He's just living somewhere else. But your father's an old man. How are you leaving? So I'm just saying... That part of the Heshbon, part of your calculation, when you do something like move, you need to think about your parents and think about taking care of your parents. That's just an important point. And that could be, right, why it says, Umibet Avicha. Why is it in your father's home? Why does it say the home of your father? Because that was the point. Maybe it's alluding to this Midrash. Hatsem told him, even though your father's around, I want you to leave. 
even though you're not supposed to, in a normal life, you're not supposed to do that, you get a special exemption. Okay, that's one small point from the Midrash. But I think this question that we ask could be answered by a bigger question. The Malbim asks a very big question. I'm sure many of you heard of the question. The Malbim says that this parasha, the way it starts, is the, out of order. Hashem tells Abraham Avinu he should leave his country, leave his birthplace, and leave his father's house. Obviously, it's out of order. If you left the country, you obviously left your birthplace and you left your father's house. If you left your birthplace, you left your father's house. Why does it say it this way? If you want to say it, say it. Leave your father's house, leave your birthplace, leave your country. By saying it in this order, it makes the other two unnecessary. What does it mean? Leave your country and your birthplace and then leave your father's house. That makes no sense. Says the Malbim. The Malbim says the Pasuk is not talking about a physical exit. The Malbim says that when Hashem told Abraham to leave, he was explaining to him, Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha, the word Lecha, I don't know if the Malbim said this, but I'm saying this. The word Lecha means you need to find independence. You need to become an independent person. Now everybody here appreciates that a person needs independence. It's something that we want for our children. When you think of independence for your children, what do most people think about? They think about financial independence. They think they should be on their own, being able to produce. Lech Lecha is Hashem telling Abraham Avinu that you need to become an independent thinker. You need to become an independent person in the way you look at life. How do you do that? You have to leave the influence around you. The influence of your country. It's not like the influence of your city. It's not like the influence of your home. But the influence of your country is also affecting your way of thinking. Leave that. Not only the country that influences you, but also the city which has even more influence. You have to leave that too. Also the influence of your family. You have to leave that also. So it is in proper order. Because we're not talking about physically leaving. We're talking about the influence. Lech lecha. To become something in your life, you must be a lecha. You must be your own person. And therefore you have to find independence in your life. You cannot be anymore a robot of somebody else. Now I want you to know how critical this is for our lives. There has to come a time in everybody's life where they have a lech lecha. There has to be a moment 
in a person's life where they decide to become an independent person. Let me explain to you what I mean. I don't know if you know this, but a girl till the age of 12 and a boy till the age of 13 has no halachot. I mean, we have to make sure they do the right thing. But they themselves have no halakha. They, they keep Shabbat, they don't keep Shabbat, they eat kosher, they don't eat kosher. For themselves, no responsibility. A young girl and a young boy have zero responsibility when it comes to Torah and mitzvot. How come? How come Hashem made it that until we're 13 and 12, there's no responsibility? Answer is that when you're young, you don't really have free choice. When you're young, you're a product of your home. Some homes are very righteous. Some homes are very not. What could you blame a child in the home of a place where they're not doing the right thing. What do you want from them? So how come it changes when they're 12 and 13? The answer is that there comes a point in life where a person must take their independence. They must become their own person. They must leave behind what they learned and start thinking for themselves if what they learned before was good so then let that become part of their independent self and if what they learned before is no good then they have to change it at 13 you become responsible never say starting at 13 and we say this all the time not to others but we say it to ourselves that's who we are that's how we grew up I grew up this way. That's an excuse until you're 13. Until, well, maybe today's 13 is not 13 anymore. I don't know. Used to be people got mature at 13. Today, used to be maturity hit at 13. And a girl at 12. I don't think that happens today. What, what is the maturity, Victor? 50. At 12 today, girls? I don't think so. Yes, yes, yeah. Girls actually are closer to 12 than boys are closer to 13. You're correct. But that's not the point now, 12 or 13. The point is, there has to come a point in your life where you stop blaming your upbringing for what you do and don't do. Because we have a tendency of doing that, either consciously or subconsciously. Where we just kind of do the things that we grew up with, thinking like, okay, that's who we are. But there is no excuse. Lech lecha. Lech lecha. Lech lecha is not a commandment to Abraham Avinu. Remember, the Torah doesn't teach us history. It is history, but whatever history it chooses to teach us, because it's relevant to us, nobody is going to be able to find their success and greatness in life until they have a lech lecha. Until they become their own person. Even not only if your father's terach. 
you have to have a lech lecha. Even if your father was Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to have lech lecha. Because even if your father put you in the most beautiful atmosphere, he was the Gadol Ador. That's beautiful. But you were just a robot. You were just following instructions. When, when are you going to become your own person? You have to continue, perhaps, what your father and mother taught you. Meaning, the guy who wasn't taught the right way, let's say your parents didn't have such a good marriage, they're always yelling at each other, screaming at each other. So now, you're going to follow the same because that's the kind of home you're born in? No, no, no. You're responsible. Lech lecha. It's okay when you're little, not when you get older. Just because your father and mother didn't do something right, that doesn't excuse you. And when they did something good, it also doesn't excuse you from independence. Because you're not supposed to grow up and just do what your father said, even if he did great things. Lech lecha means you have to be your own person. If you're doing something good, let it be yours. Not the product of your upbringing. Lech lecha is for every person. And by the way, Hashem forces us to at least think about it. You ever notice how when kids get older, especially teenagers, they like to rebel. Teenagers have this inner desire that whatever you tell them, they want the opposite. You take a little kid, hold his hand, I'll give it to you. Do similar to a teenager, to hold his hand, tell him something. His natural reaction is, no. He may be able to do it because he's scared of you, or maybe he'll be mitkaber, he'll be strong and do it, maybe. But the natural reaction of a teenager is, I don't want to listen to you. And by the way, it's not only a teenager, it's also when you get older, except that when you get older, less people tell you to do things. When you're a teenager, you went from being told everything, and now they're treating you still as their son, they're still treating you as their daughter, and they're telling you when you should go to sleep, how long you should go out, when you should come back home, to pray, say Berkat Amazon, do this. When you get older, usually people don't tell you to do that. Don't think the rebellious side of the person leaves when they get old. They don't. Except when you get older, there's no such instruction. But when you're a teenager, so you're still getting the commands, but this now, you can't deal with it. It's amazing, by the way. Around the same age, as bat mitzvah and bar mitzvah, around the same time, rebelliousness comes. That's interesting. You would think that Hashem would make it that when by the time they become bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah, now they will listen to you more. That they'll want to hear from you more. Hashem made it the opposite. When they are 12 and 13, now they have this new side of rebellion that you didn't see the like of it before. I'm not saying the little ones are angels all the time, but it's not rebellion by them. It's they want to do something. They don't like that. They don't want 
they don't want to go to sleep 9 o'clock. So they tell you, I want to sleep later. It's not a rebellion when they're little. When they're little, it's more like they want something and you're not giving it to them. So they'll make you crazy. But when you reach 13, it's not about that. Like I told you, you could tell them to do something they want to do. But they don't like it. And they will not do it because you told them. I told you once a father told me, true story. I don't know if it's true. He told me. He says, he says he has a great system with his teenage kids. He says they always listen to him. I said, what do you do? He said, whenever I want them to do something, I tell them to do the opposite. That's what he says. I don't think it's far from the truth. Something happens to a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, where they feel a desire to rebel against the people who give them advice. It's an unbelievable thing. I want you to just take notice of it. When you see your children or grandchildren, you'll see that as they get to this age, something happened. It's amazing. Why did Hashem do that? It very much is connected to the first thing I told you. Till 12, till you're 13, you're not held accountable for what you do in your life. It doesn't matter what you did till you were 12 and 13. Because it's not you. The good that you did, you don't get credit for. The bad that you did, nobody's blaming you for. Because you're a product of your home. But the minute you become mature, now it's time for your independence. And how does Hashem make sure that you look for that independence? By giving you this new attitude of rebellion. Rebellion is placed in us for a reason. It's placed in us so that we can feel the need to become independent. It's true. You know, unfortunately, we misuse it. When we're 13, we misuse the rebellion. For example, if your father tells you to be mehalel Shabbat, and now you're older, so the rebellious side of you is supposed to say, Dad, I'm sorry, I can't do that. With all the respect in the world, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm my own person now, I can't do that. Of responsible. The rebellion side of you is has helped you in that scenario. Let's say your father tells you to keep Shabbat. The opposite. Well, the rebellious side is also supposed to help you. When your father tells you to do something good, even there the rebellious side is supposed to help you. How is it supposed to help you? Right. The rebellion needs to be that, yes, I'm going to keep Shabbat, but I'm not going to do it because you told me. The rebellion for good things also is important. That you rebel not against the action, you rebel against the commander. No longer do I need to keep Shabbat because you told me. I've been doing that for 13 years. Now I got to keep Shabbat because I need to do it. So the rebellion has a place even in good things. What do teenagers do, unfortunately? 
instead of rebelling against the commander, they take it out on the command. So for example, father says to his son, I want you to pray. Oh, you want me to pray? I'm not praying. That, that was the wrong rebellion. You rebelled against the wrong thing. It's good to rebel, but not against what he told you. If what he told you is a good thing, don't rebel against it. Father says to his son, don't smoke. Now he wants to smoke. What, what are you doing? You're rebelling against the command. That's foolish. The rebellion that was put in you is to rebel against the commander. Then you no longer should be doing things because he told you. Because now you're your own person. So you got to know as a teenager where to direct your rebellion. Rebellion means you become independent. If someone is telling you to do the wrong thing, you know it's wrong. And someone says to do it, well now you rebel and say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And if someone tells you to do something, the rebellion asks of you to think about what that thing is. And if it's actually good, do it for yourself. Don't lech lecha. Do it for you, not because he told you. It's foolish to live a life when you're robotic. Imagine there would be a 13-year-old boy standing on Ocean Parkway by the red light when hundreds of cars are speeding by in both directions. And you'd ask the boy, I see you waiting by the red light. Why are you waiting there? Because I'll tell you the truth, my father many years ago told me, when there's a red light and there are cars coming both ways, you can't cross. So I keep my father's command. All right, how does that sound like to you? Sounds good, right? Guy, the guy is a Hazid case of the, all Hazid cases. You're 13 years old and you're still keeping your father's commandment as if he gave you some commandment of a hawk and you're still saying, look, my father told me. That's why I do it. Aren't you supposed to be at this age aware for yourself that this is dangerous? Isn't the right answer? I'm waiting by the red light when cars are coming because it's dangerous. Isn't that the right answer? You're still answering because my father told me. Your father told you that's good for 10 years. At this point in your life, you got to be your own person. It's embarrassing to live somebody else's life. You give credit to your father. You love your father. You honor your father. You listen to your father. You understand your father. All of that, yes. But at some point in your life, you got to be your own person. You got to make your own decisions. If you're doing the right thing, do it because you're doing it. If you're doing the wrong thing, stop. Don't blame your father. This is the beginning of the greatness of every person. When Hashem tells us about Abraham Avinu Lech Lecha, it's not a one time in life, one time in history type of commandment. It's a commandment for every reader. You need a Lech Lecha in your life to reach your greatness. You want to leave a legacy in this world? You want to live a life of fulfillment? You want to make the most out of the years that God gave you? You need at some point in your life a lech lecha. If you didn't do it at 13, you got to do it at 18. You got to do it at 30. At some point, you got to take a lech lecha moment. It's a real moment, by the way. It doesn't just happen. 
You got to actually sit with yourself and you have to actually realize that from now on, these are my decisions. Let me not live somebody else's life for the good or for the bad. We weren't, we're not here to be robots. We're here to be independent people. With independence, you can become a great person. Now, I want to share with you on this topic a very important piece of advice. You need to memorize this pasuk. This pasuk is not one that you listen to and you forget. You must memorize it. It's one of the most powerful statements that you will ever hear in your life. It comes from Shalomu HaMelech in Mishle. He says the following words. He says, Mikol Mishmar. The word Mishmar, anyone know what that word means? Mishmar, like Shomer. Shomer is a watcher. What is Mishmar? Mishmar is the thing that is getting watched. Mikol Mishmar, says Shlomo Amelech, in life there are things that we watch over, that we guard, that we put in a safe place. That's called a Mishmar. An item that is being watched, guarded. Mikol Mishmar, says Shlomo Amelech, more than anything that needs guarding and needs watching. Netzor, Netzor means Guard libecha. Guard your heart. In Tanakh, though, the word heart very often means the mind. When it says heart in Tanakh, like it says by Shlomo, he asked Hashem, le'avdecha. Give your servant, that's himself, lev shomea. Give me a listening, an understanding heart. It doesn't mean heart. He means mind. The heart doesn't understand. The mind understands. In Tanakh, very often, the word lev is referring to the mind. Someone might ask why that is. How, how come? Why does that Tanakh refer to often the mind as the heart? I'm going to tell you why. Because the mind has two departments. The mind has a department of storage where it stores information. Like a hamor no ses farim. I told you that once before. You have a hamor. Hamor is a donkey. And you see him carrying shas on his back. He has all of shas, all these books. He has not only shas, he puts Tanakh also on it. All of Shohan Aruch. He puts Mesilat Yesharim too. You can imagine, right? The hamor is carrying sfarim. What changes in the hamor? Nothing. He's still a hamor. He just no says farim. You have to know that a human could be also hamor no says farim. You could learn a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. A lot of wisdom. A lot of information. You could know all these books. And they can go into the storage department. There is a place in the brain where information is stored like a hard drive. How much does that information help you? What does it do for you? Nothing. You could pull it up. Somebody asks you a question. Oh yeah, of course, I know it. It's uh, Berachot, Daf Samechvav. There's no Samechvav in Berachot, but it's automatic. 
It's a, on Amut Sheni, on the top right, the third word. You say he's a what? This guy's unbelievable. What a guy. Don't be so impressed. Don't be so impressed. Because knowing things doesn't mean that you graduated from Hamor school. Just know that. Just because you know a lot of things, you know a lot of information, doesn't mean anything. It just means that you know things. Doesn't mean you change as a person. So just because you know information, that doesn't make you important. When does information make you important? When it connects to your live. What does that mean, connects to your live? The live at least in the way we use it in the Torah, refers, like it said, the Lev describes the person where they are. What do you like? What do you like? That's your heart. What don't you like? That's your Lev. Where you are, when, it, when, when information connects to you in your real life, we call that your Lev. Kilo, the mind has two departments. There's the storage department, and then there is Sim Lev, right? Sim Lev. Pay attention. The Lev that we're referring to is a different department in the human mind that connects the information to your real life. Follow? That's why usually when we speak about learning and the Torah, it doesn't talk about your brain, because we don't care about the brain. We don't care how much you learned. Doesn't doesn't impress us that you learned and know a lot of things. Doesn't matter you could quote every book. Oh, you could write a book on humility. Beautiful. That's so nice. But you could be still the most arrogant person talking about your book that you were on humility. You understand? So so you know all the right things, but you yourself, you're an arrogant person. The lev means you're, when your information has connected to your real life, we call that information of the lev. That's why Hashem is interested in our lev, not our brain. In the information that becomes a part of us. How many people come here and they learn about things and they're so excited about what they learn, but when they walk out, nothing changed in their life. Well, you didn't connect the information to the live. Anyway, says Shalom Melech, more than anything that needs guarding in life, you need to guard your mind. Why? Ki mimenu. Listen to these words. You have to memorize them. Ki mimenu. Because from your mind, the results of life. Results of life can be very positive. Results of life can be very negative. Results of life means results of a marriage. Results of a family. Results of relationships. Results of a person vis-a-vis -vis himself. Results of simha or the opposite. Results in life and everything that we do. Anything that we do in life, we look for great results. That word totsaot means results. 
says Shilomo HaMelech, where do results in life come from? From where? We see this guy had a great result. That one, not a great result. Where did the results of life come from? Says Shilomo HaMelech, Mimenu. There's one place where the results of life come from. It's from the mind. The human mind is the deciding factor of life's important results. So make sure you watch over it. What does it mean to watch over it? What does that mean? First of all, in what way is the human mind something that needs to be watched? Why is it something that needs to be watched? Let me explain to you. Two types of things that people watch over. One type is valuables. When something is valuable, you have a nice, beautiful diamond, a bracelet, you have money, you have a nice watch. You have something valuable, you watch over it. Make sure it's in a safe, make sure it's safe. That's one type of thing, one type of item that people watch over are valuables. They, have, they feel a need to watch over it. But there's another type of item that people watch over. It's not so valuable, but they still are careful and they watch over it. What is that? Those are things that are delicate, things that are fragile. A very, very thin glass cup. It's not that expensive, but people guard it. They watch it. They make sure it's in a box because it breaks so easily. You can't just throw it around. The human mind has both categories on the highest level. What's the most important part? The most important possession in my life? What is the most important part of me? My mind. Imagine you would tell the, 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 the most, the wealthiest man in the world. And you tell him, there's a gezera on you. Uh, tomorrow you're going to lose your mind. But you'll be a very healthy person, don't worry. Everything will be working very nicely. Just your mind is going to be gone. He says, really, that's terrible. Can't believe it. He says, but if you want, they give you redemption. If you give, you, if you give us all your money and give up all your assets, give you your mind back. Now, if he still has his mind left, which is a big question, but if he still has his mind, he obviously would choose to give up all his money for his mind. The human mind is worth more than anything in this planet. The human mind is the most valuable. Therefore, says Shlomo Melech, make sure you watch over it. You're watching a, a watch? Think about your brain. And also, it's also the most fragile. The human mind is the most fragile item on the planet. You know why it's fragile? Because the human mind never forgets. The human mind never, ever, ever forgets every encounter, every conversation, every picture, every sound that you ever saw in your life from the time that you're born is in your mind. The human mind never, ever forgets. Remember that. You'll ask me, what do you mean? I forget all the time. I forgot what I ate yesterday. I don't remember things when I was in kindergarten. So let me explain to you when we say I forget what it means. Let me explain to you. Sometimes, sometimes in life, I'm sure it's happened to you many times. I know it happened to me. You see a guy, he looks at you. He says, uh, you remember me? Now, I used to say, by the way, I used to say, of course, I don't want to embarrass the guy. Of course, but one time a guy asked me, so what's my name? Um, it was a very embarrassing moment. So I took it upon myself to say the truth. So I told the guy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't remember. He says, 
He says, he says to me, um, eighth grade, starts giving me his name. I sat next to you. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, of course. And I'm remembering his name. I remember his last name. I remember the, oh, the way he's talking. I remember that. The way he was, the way his movements. It was so familiar. I got it. Happened to everybody here. Question, where was that information before? I thought you forgot it. I thought it's deleted. If it's deleted, where did you get it from? Where did it come from? Shamayim? How'd you get it? Answer is that you never forgot it. You never forgot that guy. Ever. It's all there. When we forget, it just means that our ability to grab the information gets weaker. That's the way forgetfulness works. But you never forget anything. Ever. Ever. Never. Now, you might tell me, who cares? Okay, big deal. So, it's all there. Hazak baruch. What does it matter? No, no. It matters. Because you have to ask yourself a question. All of us share the same kind of brain. It's a piece of meat. It's amazing, by the way. The brain is a piece of meat. That's all it is. 70% water. All of us have that brain. Some have a, a little bigger. Some have a little smaller. Some are a little sharper. But it's basically the same brain. So I want to ask you a question. I see something. You see something. We look at the same thing. The same brains. I look at it and say, that is so beautiful. So gorgeous. So nice. Can't believe the guy's doing that. So nice. You look at it and say, oh my gosh, that's horrible. I can't believe what the guy's doing. Now I want to ask you, why did you think it was beautiful? That it was great? And why did he think that it was terrible? Where did that come from? Why, you know, people say, that's who I am. That's what I like. Beautiful. Baruch. Question. How did, it be, how did it become what you like? How come we think that when we like things or when we see things that attract us or don't attract us, we think that's just who we are. But how did you become who you are? Let me tell you how it happened. Very simple. While Hashem created everybody with different types of characteristics, yes. But as far as liking something or how to react to something, how did that become you? Let me tell you a little story of how things work. This is how the human mind works. You have a father. He comes home after a very hard day's work. Very hard day. He's exhausted. He can't wait for his rice. He, rice, he loves rice. He likes, he loves fresh rice. He tells his wife, please, I'm coming home, I'm exhausted. I, I need rice tonight. I need it, I gotta have it. She says, of course, honey, my pleasure. Comes home, he's ready for his soul, yes. That's his rescue, his rice. He's coming home, gets, sits down on the plate. She gives him the plate of rice. His little five-year-old's on the floor, playing with Legos doing his own thing. All of a sudden, he takes a spoon of the rice off and it's burnt. It's disgusting. This guy, he lost. He starts going crazy. You don't care about me. 
You know how important this was to me. I'm waiting all day. I'm working for you. You know how people say that? The least you can do is pay attention. You burn the rice. I can't believe it. He takes the bowl of rice. He throws it. The little boy is minding his own business on the floor playing Legos. So what did that scene do for this kid? Let me tell you what it does. 30 years later, he comes home and his wife burns the rice. Do you know what his first reaction is going to be? You know what the first thing he's going to want to do? He doesn't know why. He doesn't remember his father. doesn't remember that scene. He doesn't consciously remember. But the first feelings that come as far as how do I react to that? The first thing on his mind is to do what his father did. He can stop it and control it. What we automatically feel towards a situation, towards a person, towards anything, whether it's good or bad, is all based on what we've been seeing for the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years. When we like something, you know why we like it so much? Because that's what we keep seeing. When we don't like something, we heard such negativity. We had an uncle that was very negative. Every time he had lunch with us on the Shabbat table, he had a very negative view. You know, there are some people, for example, that think rabbis, all they care about is your money. There are many people like that, you know that? Rabbi, money. All they care about. There are many people who have some attitude. Where does it come from? So it comes from a father, a mother, an uncle, a friend, that when you were younger gave you such feelings and maybe even backed it up because maybe there was a rabbi or two or ten, who cares, that didn't care for money. You're right, there are people like that. But how did, you, how did it become a uh, global thing? Because that's the way you've been fed. You've been fed that this, you've been fed, by the way, this is the advertising business. The advertising business is all about feeding you feelings. I, I always wondered, by the way, maybe you wonder the same thing. I always wondered how come Toyota can't make nice cars. Like, I understand that it has to be cheaper material. I understand that maybe it won't be as technologically advanced. But like, just because it's cheap, it has to be ugly. Like, I never understood that. Just make a nice car. You understand? It always bothered me. Why can't Honda make nice cars? Just because it's cheap, it has to be ugly. I didn't understand it. You understand? And then I realized one day, I caught myself, because I realized that sometimes I see a car, and it looks like nice car, and then I see them, I'm like, oh, it's a Toyota. <laughs> I thought it was nice, but it's not really. You, know. you catch yourself doing that. You see something nice, oh, no, oh, no it's not so nice. Yeah, you see that? Unbelievable. And then you see a car that looks like a bug. I say, oh, my goodness, that's gorgeous. Can't believe how nice that is. So nice. Can't believe. It's the ugliest car, the most uncomfortable, 
car on the planet. You look at it and say, wow, what a car. How gorgeous. What is going on? Answer is that the beauty of the car or the ugliness has already been plenty in your conscience somewhere. Advertisers aren't stupid. When they show you a commercial where you see this horrible looking young man that's depressed in black and white driving an old car with a muffler that's broken and he's all down and out and all of a sudden, this is all 10 seconds by the way, all of a sudden at the 10 second line someone comes with a can of coke. Unbelievable. And all of a sudden, this can of Coke is in color. It's in color, beautiful. And then they open it, and you never open the Coke like that in your life. Yeah, they, they are like, it's like, you know, it, it's like fireworks coming out. And then the guy takes a sip, and it comes down like, you know, like the gasoline is going down. Comes down all bright. And as it is happening, all of a sudden, his car becomes a convertible. It's now a Ferrari. The music is gorgeous in the background. All of a sudden he has a thousand friends that are all over him. His hair is now slick. The guy is gorgeous. End of the commercial. Now, I want to tell you something. If you are up and thinking, you should get very offended. That, like, we should sue Coca-Cola for that. Really. What, what were they lying to? What, what, is that real? Really? When you drink Coke, it's going to turn you to a rich, popular, good-looking person? That is such an offensive commercial. Like, which dib on this planet, which idiot is going to watch that and say, oh, wow, I got to go buy Coke right now. I'm down and out. I'm depressed. I need, I need a nice car. Let me go get a bottle of what? You think anyone, do they think we're dumb? Do they think we're stupid? That we actually believe that this is what a Coca-Cola can is going to do for us? What are they thinking, these people? Are they so silly? They spent billions of dollars and they show us the commercial again. You know, they don't, not only we saw it here, we saw it every 10 minutes, every 30 minutes, constantly showing it to us. Why are they wasting their money on stupid things? They're not stupid. They're one of the, some of the most brilliant people are sitting in a conference room and they know the human mind. They know this pasuk more than anybody else. They know that when you go to the store and you're going to buy a drink, the Coca-Cola is going to look so good to you and you won't even know why. People will tell you, how come you like it? I don't know. I just love it. I don't know. I... I don't know, what can I tell you? I love it. Why do you love it? You look at a bottle of C&C, like, oh, it's horrible. It's very ugly. I can't believe it. They should put their mind together and make something nicer. The coat, oh, that's gorgeous. You see your car in the road, stunning, ugly. How did you get that opinion? Yeah, you got it? Because it's all sitting there. Every time they put more information in your mind, you connect that car that drink, that, that name, the brand name, looks beautiful. Be careful of what you allow into your mind. What you allow into your mind 
is going to become you. You hang around people who are negative, you will become negative. And then you'll see, what should I do? It's me. What should I do? I'm a negative person. It's not you. It became you because of the information that you allowed into your mind. A person needs to know that what they allow themselves to come into their life, whether it's through friends, whether it's through digital, whether it's through ears or eyes, what you allow into your mind will become you and you will lose your independence. When you become a product of the people around you, you are losing your independence to them. So at least choose to be around the right people, around the right circles. Don't sing the song, Rain, Rain, Go Away. You ever sing that song? You know who made that song? You know how many people he's destroyed, this guy? Rain, rain, go away. Do you understand that almost every American, when they have rain in their life that day, they feel like this, lethargic, they're down. Just look next time on a Shabbat morning when it's dark and rainy out. And look at the people. It's like, no, they're not empty. They're just dead. The place is dead. Depressed. You know who put that in their mind? A guy like this guy. Rain, rain, go away, come back other. So that you basically told kids that rain is not good. Also, their mother helped when she opened the window and they said, oh, the worst day in the world. Oh, my goodness. Horrible. I can't believe it. Horrible. I can't believe it. Do you know how many days in life it rains? You're going to infect your son and daughter? They should feel that way for half their life or 25% of their life? Why would you do that? You know, rain in some countries brings happiness. Rain isn't good or bad. It's the way you allow it to come into your mind. Mikol Mishmar, watch what you allow into your mind because it will become you. The way you are is because you are a product of the things that you saw and you heard. And you need to take independence going forward of what you will choose to see and to be around. This way you become a person that you will choose because you chose to be around the right people, around happy people, around appreciative people, around people that you will be proud to be like them. You will be like them. If you just keep taking in the right pictures, it will cover the past and become the new you. Lech lecha. Be independent for yourself. Don't be a product by accident of what's going on around you. Choose your destiny. Have a wonderful day.